to Breaking Down Bits, a conversation about great comedy bits with the comedians who wrote and performed them. Hey, Breaking Down Bits, this is Brian Gendron. I'm Drew Jordan, and uh, welcome back. Uh, having a blast with you guys. Thanks for, for checking out uh, Breaking Down Bits today. Um, also, I mean, there's so many cool things you can do with Breaking Down Bits right now. We've been having a blast with the Tuesday virtual open mic, just comics in there, just a feedback mic. Um, always a good time. Some great writers in there. Always get a fun tag, fun place to try new jokes. All you have to do is shoot us an email to get a slot. Uh, it's breaking down bits at gmail.com. Having a blast with that one. Yeah. Let me do a quick shout out to Rosani Christie joined the mic on Tuesday. It, I think it was one of her first few times doing comedy and she was so appreciative of everything that we do on the show and she had an amazing set. And so uh, fun to be a part of that. And uh, thanks for everybody who's been joining these weekly mics. If you'd like to join, hit us on social media or email us at breaking down bits at gmail.com. Just ask for a spot Tuesday nights at 9 PM Eastern. We have been consistent AF on those things. Uh, and here's our social media at breaking down bits. Yeah. Except for Twitter, break it down bit. Yes. Uh, one bit. Same, same. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. So we've had, a, we've had a blast with that. Definitely hop in there. A uh, ton of episodes at breakingdownbits.com. You can check out all the old episodes. Um, each one, we try to like take a slightly different direction and, and go and lean into that person's kind of wheelhouse. So, you know, we kick things off with um, Blake Weber, a.k.a. Aristotle Georgeson, who really gets into crowd work and improv and then you know, you, there's the full spectrum of different comics and different strengths. So something for everybody. Uh, you can check out all the old episodes. They're on Spotify, YouTube, everywhere you listen to podcasts. But the one hub to find them all, BreakingDownBits.com. The one ring to, to rule them all is BreakingDownBits.com. <laughs> what a nerd. Yes, BreakingDownBits.com. <laughs> we celebrate our whole catalog. Uh, every, we talked to, uh, gosh, 34 comics to this point. And everybody does this differently. Everybody has a different journey. And I've taken away nuggets, usually multiple nuggets from everybody we talk to. Speaking of that, Drew, probably a good time for callbacks. Uh, what did you take away from our conversation with Gianmarco Cerezzi? Uh, I think one of, the, one of the moments that really struck me um, what was like, okay, so I like to co-write a little bit. I like to riff with people. And this is something that John Marco also talked about. And I think one of the interesting angles was that sometimes uh, riffing with like old friends who aren't even comics has been really productive for me because they, uh, as you kind of mentioned in that portion of the conversation on that podcast, they know me uh, better than anyone because I've been friends with them for, you know, 20, 30 plus years, some of them. And, um, and they're fun and I can, I can trust them. And so, yeah, I, I think just like we, th we think of comedy as a solo sport, but you really do. You can get feedback from your friends, even if they aren't comics, you can talk through, call them up, just hit them with a riff um, and just and just get in there uh, and uh, and riff that stuff out. And I don't know. It's it's a it's a really fun thing that I've added into my writing repertoire that makes it fun, keeps it fresh. Um, but no pressure to do it all alone and no pressure to just do it with other comics either. I love that. Yeah, we have a tendency to, to go just to comics, but it's so good to get that outside perspective. And somebody like you mentioned that that knows deeply who you are because then it allows you to show up authentic. Uh, so you stole my callback, but that's OK. I'm going to pivot and go to another one, which I thought was really effective. Uh, Jean-Marco talked about uh, doing check spots. Okay, volunteered to do check spots. He did. He said for a year he grinded it out, and then he said he wasn't going to say the comedy club, but then he slipped later and said it was LOLs in Times Square. Uh, but uh, those check spots, if you don't know what they are, it's when they're dropping the checks down for people to pay during the comedy show, and it's it's just going to war. It's the worst part of it. And so uh, I think the call to action on that is go and volunteer at your local club for that check spot. Uh, go and volunteer. A, a friend of our show, our, our local show that we run, The Riot, uh, Patrick Eady last night had volunteered to do warm-up spot, and we, we were able to give him a warm-up spot. So volunteer for those tough spots, 
to be able to go out and warm up uh, the crowd in front of maybe a local comedy show or, or to do the check spots and, uh, and watch yourself grow over that time. They're hard to do, but damn it, you'll get better. So go check out that episode by Gianmarco Cerezzi. That was episode 34. And uh, I think we're ready to get into 35. What do you think, Drew? Yep, let's do it. Jasmine Ellis is a stand-up comedian, entertainment journalist, and podcast host from Dallas, Texas. Jasmine tours colleges and clubs nationally and has been featured at over a dozen top comedy festivals, including Moon Tower, sponsored by Netflix. Her debut comedy album, Trash Baby, went number one on iTunes and has been critically acclaimed as the best comedy album by comedians you haven't heard of on Spotify. Jasmine was honored as a comedian to watch on the Hoo Ha Ha Women Comedy Forum and her dry bar comedy special, Nobody's Queen, is available now. Jasmine Ellis, welcome. Hi there. Oh my God. I have never heard my bio said out loud. I loved it. It felt very heartland. It felt very, <laughs> it very felt like coming to CMT. She's like a wholesome girl from Dallas. <laughs> and I couldn't tell. I, I was reading it and I was thinking, um, is this a is this a joke or is the thing I don't know about? It's like rated the best comedy special from people you don't know on spot. Is that a is that a is that a playlist or is that just a joke? It's a playlist, actually. There's a comedian, okay. Nori Davis, who is phenomenal. I love him so much. Nori Davis created this po- uh, this playlist called um, Comedy Albums from Comedians You Don't Know. And he chose two of my tracks and was like, you know, this is really great. And so it got like a little bit. I mean, it is y- weird to use a playlist as a credit, but nice. I um, I was like, I'm proud of this because people mm-hmm. I really respect thought this was good. So it feel well, good. we respect Nori as well. He's obviously uh, he's been on the show and he's coming to do our show in Houston next month. So uh, we know Nori. Yeah, very yeah, good. No, it's 2021. I think uh, playlisting is super important and absolutely a credit. Uh, and for him, that was actually like a really genius way to help promote the release because he did he did a comedy album during quarantine, really early in the court. It's so right. funny the projects that were happening in the first six months of quarantine when we thought this was going to end, yeah. and then there, so it was like people were like, you know, I'm just going to take this time and get a running start. And then there was this middle ground where we were like, I can't believe we're still home, you know. Yeah. But there was this beautiful little like, I'm scared, but I'm going to make it happen. Period that I think was between like March and October where things were like really good. And that's when he recorded live from the comedy trap house. And I was like, this is so cool. So to help promote that, he like created a playlist with like other up and coming comics who have good specials and there's like some real fun ones. So yeah, it's on there. Hey, there's a lot of great, a lot of great creativity um, and depression happened during the, the pandemic stuff. And sometimes I honestly, I was just talking with someone yesterday. I was like, I kind of almost miss it a little bit sometimes because life gets so busy now. And back then things were just more simple. And while it wasn't easy to write a lot of, I, you, you got to know, get to imagine there's a lot of great creative, uh, creative work that's going to be shown here in the next year. Mm-hmm. people buckle down. I mean, I started a YouTube channel and started making dumb videos. Everyone tried to find a way to continue to be creative and continue to do their thing, even though the world wasn't uh, going to be the same for a while. Uh, so mm-hmm. yeah, you got to get in there and do it. For me, it was TikTok. I thought for sure, when the when first TikTok came around, I was like, this is so stupid. If I have to watch one more child dance with their elbows. And just, <laughs> I, cannot I cannot wait till, here's how, here's how I'm going to know Gen Z is in the building. When I when a song from my childhood comes on and then immediately kids start like, and, <laughs> and then I just, I'm going to get off the floor and I'm going to say, it's fine. They think they discovered this shit. It's fine. Um, <laughs> but TikTok for me, I at first I was posting videos of my stand up and those don't do well. TikTok, the algorithm of TikTok knows what was created outside of it and it mm-hmm. shuns. It's like I don't know. It's like it's like I feel like they have a little bit of a scan where it's like I've noticed this. If I make a TikTok video and then I also post it on Reels and I also post it on YouTube, if I post it on TikTok first, it'll blow up. But I'm telling there's something about the algorithm. It knows if it's from somewhere else. It, it, it's TikTok is a um she's a, she's a very jealous wife. All right. No, like knows where you've been. She knows who you're talking to. And if you want it, if you want her to treat you right, you have to be consistent and show up for her. So for me, I have like a couple like funny spoof videos, but mostly what I like to do is 
I'm bad at Twitter. As I have good ideas, but my tweets, like people will tweet exactly what I tweet and get like a billion reshares. And I don't know what it is. I just don't have the tw Twitter rhythm, but then I'll say the same thing on video that I tweet and it does numbers. And I think people just, maybe I'm just better at conveying my words orally and with my face and like, so you can see me, you know? So any video, if I just say something straight to camera, like yesterday I was, um, I was like, you know what's toxic? The belief that girly drinks don't get you drunk. Straight men are drinking lighter fluid when they could be happy. <laughs> like, like you know and then i just kept riffing about how like oh this this puts hair on your chest you know what this made me put my chest on a stranger you <laughs> like um but yeah like silly stuff like that and it's just like it's hard to convey in a text but you give me 15 seconds i can do better with 15 seconds than i can with 140 characters i'm i've always been more of a performer than a writer but i think i'm a very strong writer too but I mean, performance, I, I feel like when people first start out, it's one or the other. And I definitely think I had the performance part first and then built the writing, if that makes sense. And it kind of shows with how I do things on social media. Yeah. Yeah. Well, TikTok is like a, is the wild west kind of still a little bit. You can really get exposure there. And it mm -hmm. does feel like the algorithm for TikTok works very differently than perhaps the algorithm for Instagram. <laughs> Uh, and it, it just, I mean, we have guys locally here who've blown up a million hits on certain TikTok videos because I think the, uh, the reach there is just different. It's way different. I mean, I I've been on Instagram for what, almost 10 years and I have like 5,000 followers. I have yeah. 37,000 followers on TikTok and I've been there less than a year. How many elbow dances have you done on TikTok? <laughs> Not a one. No. no. <laughs> If I had boobs, I think I would be a little higher up in the algorithm on TikTok, but um, I need to do more of that no, uh, okay. TikTok well, stuff. Drew, I'm, I'm making the assumption you're heterosexual, right? Nailed it. Okay. So here's the thing. If you want to appeal to straight women, all you got to do is just like smile and talk about how you want to hear what they want to hear. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they're like straight girl porn. We love like I, the put on a suit and then be like, I'm listening girl. Yeah. Or not even a suit. You know what? A nice cardigan, a cardigan, a but just have a really clean apartment behind you. Okay. Like if, if you look like you have a nice apartment with a, it, like show your bed frame and watch, watch Don't. your DMs blow up. He, he, don't show your apartment true. That's wait, not. Wait. <laughs> I got a, I got a headboard recently, so I'm ready. Oh. <laughs> I'm balling, I'm balling out. Over a here. Headboard? Bed frame and a headboard. What's up? Oh my god. This is a, this is actually a great place to start, Jazz, because right before you came on, uh, Drew and I were talking about promoting our show, and this is happening for comics across America, right? How do we get the word out about the shows that we produce? And we were, and we were talking about social. And we do a great job of taking awesome stage shots. You know, sort of the afterglow of here's how good our show was. Uh, and we post stand up clips to kind of promote the show. But we need some middle ground. We need some some additional content that that shows that we're funny, that our shows are a good time. And this like something on TikTok would be a, a great solution for us. Oh, I've been too lazy. Like I have a podcast and I see like I started following podcasts because I saw TikToks about the podcast and mm. they do little things like if if if, uh, if the two hosts are having a conversation about pop culture, then they'll just have pictures of all the people they're talking about come by in a slideshow over the sound of them talking. I have followed two podcasts because of that, because I'm like, oh, these two are funny. And I I could just take the time to get an audio clip of my own podcast. I, like, <laughs> I get mad at myself because I'm so lazy. Like I, I get so mad at myself. Like, there are so many comics who they just got social media figured out early, like Roxy Hayes and Chenadu, and they just they just they they know Chenadu, sorry, they know how to do this stuff. And for me, growing up the Dallas scene, I don't want to say it was discouraging, but there were a lot of old head comics there who like ran that scene, and it was like the biggest deal if you talk to them at their end of hyenas on Wednesday. You know what I mean? Like he's kind of wonderful curmudgeon guys. Who sit there and drink their red wine. I'm talking about Dave Little. Um, so, <laughs> and like they would never implicitly say anything bad about social media, but you wanted to, like, you wanted to be, you wanted to be respected by them. And sometimes it felt like the silly, the silly stuff like social media. I'm eight years in. So it's kind of, I kind of came at this cusp of like, there are people who are huge on social media because, and they never set foot in a club. And then they started doing clubs after they got huge on social media. So like, mm -hmm. I've had people be like, why don't you do something more like what B Simone does? And then you wait a month and B Simone gets canceled because she says something stupid. Like, 
when you, uh, and she's a sweet girl, she's very, very funny, but like, if you don't learn to read the room, it backfires on you eventually. But then again, I'm, I'm a no, and not a nobody, but you know what I mean? Like people don't know me. And if I had done more social media early on, who knows where I'd be, but I'm like, you know what? You can't look back. You can only look forward. So I'm just finding my own niche and putting out what I want to put out. I love what you said, because those, those skills transfer what we do in stand up reading the room really does transfer to online content. And you need to be aware of what you're putting out and how it's received. And then also there's great tools out there to monitor that and see, you know, how is this performing compared to other content? So you really can be a scientist behind the scenes and all this. I find that comics who actually do comedy in real life, when they get online, they have a little bit more integrity about how they present things because they're thinking about they already have their voice. And so they're thinking about what's cohesive for that voice. Whereas like, if I'm just like, ah, here's a thought. And then like, you know, I'm going to yell. And they also, it's like, <laughs> they don't care if they're just repeating someone else's meme a lot. And I'm not talking about B. Simone specifically. I'm talking about just anyone in that genre. Like who, um, you know, some, some of them are brilliant. Some of them are absolutely brilliant. And they just have a mind for video. And I will say this, uh, I will say this, quarantine made me eat my words. So I used to think what they did was easy. And I was like, no, it is really fucking tiring editing a video video of yourself and looking at yourself over and over and like I have a lot of respect for people who've created like whole careers online um but I could you know um but I love what I do and I love that I've done stand-up in person uh and I'm I don't know it was crazy surviving off of doing zoom shows for a year you know and like getting now I'm like getting back on stage and it's there are no rules to this is what is what the pandemic taught me like you're going to find a way, find your funny and then find a way to get it to people. So speaking of like, obviously nowadays, yeah, a lot of people getting their start on social media, kind of growing a following before they even step on stage for you. What was your start in comedy and what were some of the big breaks that kind of got you to where you are now? So I started in 2013 and I, I was kind of a comedy non-traditionalist in the sense that I didn't grow up watching a ton of stand-up. Like I, if, uh, if comic view or something was on, I'd watch it, but I didn't know people's names like that. I think the, the first comedy special I watched in its entirety was Wanda Sykes, I'm a Be Me, which came out in 2008 or 2009. And oh my God, it just, it like turned the light on in my brain. I was like, I love this. So when she talked about performing at the white house and getting this special briefing, not to say the N word, she goes, I hope this is the first time y'all had to do this. You know, like, <laughs> and then she's like, what am I supposed to do? Get up there and go, nigga, you the president. <laughs> her delivery, everything about her is just, I'm such a big fan of hers. And I've talked about this on multiple streams of whatever. Like I just, I love her a lot. Um, and then I started going back, but I will say this, like I didn't grow up on George Carlin. I didn't grow up on Lenny Bruce. And like, Stand-up is already such a, a white guy dominant field. So when you don't know their gods, I mean, it's kind of like, you know, I, I don't, I don't really, I just started watching Friends. I don't know that many Beatles. I'm, I'm, sometimes I'll literally be like, I'm so sorry. I was busy being black. I, I just, I wasn't there. <laughs> but, um, but anyways, my start, you're asking a simple question and I'm going around it a million ways. So I worked at a cosmetics counter and I, okay, I started in radio. I did that for a little bit and then lost that job because my, I got sick. I found out I had Graves disease and um, I needed to like seek specific treatment for it in tech. Sorry, this is <laughs> so much information. Anyways. So I quit that job and I loved radio. Radio was such a great outlet for me to be funny. I didn't even realize I was being funny. I was just saying things and I was making people laugh and you know, I just was really good at radio and I didn't realize that would transfer into comedy because I didn't see myself as a stand-up. You're going to say something, Brian? I'm sorry. No, y'all, you and Drew have very similar starts, I feel like. Did you do radio as well? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I so, and I didn't realize like what a good fit, like, and I kind of think that if, if I had been a dude, I think more people would have been like, you should do stand-up, but people just don't, they don't piece together girls in stand-up, you know? So anyways, I'm working at the makeup counter. I had quit the radio job, like my dream job, quit it to go get help for this issue I had. And then my dad was diagnosed with prostate cancer. My mom lost her job. I was helping them out. Uh, and she lost her job of like 25 years. And it was just like this really crazy period. So I would move back in with them and I was just like depressed. Like I was like, everything's gone wrong. And then I was working the counter and I had had this coworker who had just moved back from New York and he did stand up in New York and he would hear me mumbling to myself. And he was like, you were the funniest person I've ever heard in my entire life. And like, and I just, like one day he was like, how's it going? And I was like, well, 
I didn't miss the button today, so I think I, I'll make it another week. You know, like or like 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 buttoning my own shirt. Yeah. Like, and I, <laughs> like I was just coming. He was watching me come unglued and thought it was the funniest thing in the entire world. And it took me. What's so funny is it took me so long to realize that's where my funny is. So like he was like, just come to an open mic. We'll have fun. And he helped me understand like the rule of threes and like set up in a punchline. So like we immediately would do like little writing sessions together. And uh, I'm bad about this. I don't like taking other people's notes or tags. I go to writing sessions just to be told I'm good at it. <laughs> I have a chip on my shoulder because I'm a middle child. And I just, I always want people like Jasmine did it on her own. And I'm, I'm just now learning that there's no shame in collaboration. And it's good, like, I think sometimes maybe it's a chip on the shoulder that a lot of women develop where it's like so many people are constantly trying to discredit you that you're like, if you can't do it on your own, you don't deserve it. And it's like, I can do it on my own, but I can do some things a little better. So I'm, I'm learning to be open to discussions, although it never fails. I swear to God, whenever someone gives me, a man gives me an unsolicited tag, it is never funny. <laughs> it is never true. <laughs> and half the time, like I, I was, you know how a lot of comics don't understand how to trim the fat. Yeah. My pet peeve is when someone gives me a tag that just adds more fat back on. <laughs> like I just, what I do, because I'm, I'm a good actor, so I'll go, okay, what's the punchline to that? And they're like, oh, well, yeah, well, if you, you, you said this part, but you didn't mention anything about being a mom, and I was like, yeah, yeah, I didn't because I'm not a mom and I don't want to tell that joke. But what's the punchline of your joke? Well, I was just saying you forgot this part, and it's like, no, I didn't forget it. I'm, I'm just, I'm smarter than you. I thought about it, realized it wasn't funny and got rid of it. Like, I already cut what you're trying to get me to add. Like, I, like Well, it's hard I, to get tags from other people sometimes because they just have such a different, they don't understand your voice. Yes. And that's what we're kind of talking about in the, in the intro there, like, like riffing with old friends, people who really know you and your personality and voice is sometimes way more beneficial because yeah, I get tags from friends sometimes and I'm like, yeah, you could say that you might say that I, it doesn't make sense coming out of my mouth at all. You know, like, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I just, I just wrote something hilarious with my best friend and she's not a comedian or a writer at all, but we both have depression. And I was telling her how I couldn't figure out how to get my meds because I couldn't get a new doctor. And I asked her, this is, I might do this on stage in Houston. So if you heard it, pretend you didn't. Okay. <laughs> um, but my, one of my friends had quit taking her antidepressants and gave me her leftovers. And I found out I'm on 300 milligrams and she's only on 75. And I called my friend Ari and I was like, am I four times crazier than this bitch? <laughs> <laughs> and then we just kept riffing about quantifying crazy and how like now I want to like watch her and be like, mm, I would have handled this differently. I can go down to 150. Like, <laughs> like trying to self-diagnose myself based yeah. on how crazy my friend is. So like, like having that best friend who like knows your sensibility and like kind of has nothing to gain from from you guys talking can be so fun and like i'm a middle child i have two sisters so we go back and forth and i do do i do some of my best writing or riffing with my husband my best friend and my two sisters not that i don't love talking to comics but it, it's a, um it's a balance you have to be close it's it's very intimate it's a, it's a very intimate relationship. I don't um <laughs> listen. I don't riff casually. Okay, I uh, <laughs> not a casual riffer. Okay, like if we start riffing, we go together. Like, <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a good that's a good point. Also, like anytime you're riffing with another comic, there's always that weird moment where you're like, is this is this mine or yours? Yours, yes. mine, mine, yours, yours. Yeah, especially like if one goes too far, and now you're like, okay, I wrote half of this. Although. I've noticed in LA, not to say LA comics are not fun. Okay. okay. <laughs> Shots fired. <laughs> LA comics, no LA comics are not funny. Um, people who say, <laughs> not their fault, but if you start in LA and there are exceptions, there are people who just started in LA and they're wonderful, but if they never did stand up before they got to LA, like Valerie Tosi started in LA. If they never did comedy before, what happens is they're in this scene where like you're fighting to get more than three minutes on stage, fighting for it, you know? And they get to watch the biggest headliners in the country fuck around. So mm. what you see is a poor imitation of a good person having an off night constantly. Like mm. if I hear one more person tell a joke about an audition they didn't get, <laughs> I mean, like, 
God, if I hear one more girl say, I'm a blah, 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 10, but an LA four. And it's like, honey, we have the internet everywhere. You're a solid six. Like, it's, <laughs> <laughs> your, your average is the same. Everyone can see you. But um, yeah, and, and it's, it's just so funny because coming from Texas, or people, people from the middle of the country know this. You get it in your head that the coasts are like the graduate program for comedy. And for me, I just moved seven months ago. It's like I had to tell myself I was ready. I had to have a special coming out. I had to have toured the country. I had to I had to have an album out. I thought I had to be at this really high level. And then I realized there's there's no prereq to LA. You can come here whenever you want. So there's a mixture of levels, there's a mixture of skills. And I, you know, you get it in your head that if you're in New York or LA, you must be so much better. And no, <laughs> you know, you're there. You're just it's just a location. It's just as it goes. Yeah, I think there's something to be said to be prepared before you go into a, an A market like that yeah. to, to come in. It's gotta be super hard to start in those markets because you're just like, man, you're kind of competing for spots with the best in the business or people, you know, this community of kind of famous mm -hmm. people who know each other and like comedy is clicky enough as it is in the smaller markets. Like imagine in New York where you could put someone who's kind of famous on your show. Anyone who's new is out. Yeah. <laughs> And you, and I mean, that's the only, and then also LA people, like as citizens, normal people, they want to go where someone famous is going to be. Totally. So it's kind of hard to push a show. I actually started a showcase called Funny First, and it's not a dig at anyone, but I book people funny first. That is my ambition is to get the funniest people I can on the show. Mm -hmm. And, but with, with what's available in LA, that's going to be a mixture of famous and not famous. But, um, like, I want to make sure it's people that I just believe are great. Um, so I'm excited about that. Uh, I don't know. I, I'm here for what I'm here for and I like it, but I will say I'm so glad I started in Texas because being able to be in front of all different types of crowds, like when I was in the Dallas scene, you would go, you would go Wednesday's hyenas. That's like a hyenas Dallas. That's a true mixture of what Dallas has to offer. It's a little pretentious. Um, maybe 60% white, 40% other, but it's a pretty good idea of what's there. Um, Wednesday, uh, if, you, if you have enough time, you do Wednesday before that, you go to the Arlington Improv. That is a strictly black, middle-aged crowd. You're, they, don't, they don't like whiny stuff. They don't like stuff about depression. They don't like I, I, I statements. They like, y'all ever been or you know, they want to relate. So you got to do it a little different. Thursday, clean show, backdoor comedy. You got to be squeaky, squeaky clean. And learning to work clean, I am not a clean comic. Uh, I will talk about my booty hole all day, but, <laughs> <laughs> but you make money working clean. That's why I don't have a day job right now because I can work clean. It was a good skill to learn and I'm glad I learned it early. Then you drive to Thursday, you drive Fort Worth hyenas. This is, I mean, this is like seven years ago. So I don't even know what's still there, but then it would be like super drunk, fratty Fort Worth, a little bit hit, a little bit redneck, and, and then, uh, oh, I forgot, Tuesday night, Dallas Comedy House, rest in peace. Yeah. Hippie, alternative, edgy, super smart. So you, I would write something. I would sit down and write Sunday night and then come out the gate ready to go because I was going to, I was going to try it in front of the, the liberal nerds on Tuesday, mm. old black people on, on, on Thursday, the general populace Thursday earlier, and then try to work it clean and then try to get dirty in front of drunks. And that's how I got, I think that was a very good way to quickly build 30 minutes. And then from there, I just kept working. But I had like, I had a hot working 30 about two years in, which I think is a little bit like, I will say this to anybody new, don't rush yourself to have, to say you have all this time. Make sure that time is great. If you can do it forwards and backwards in front of lots of different, like, for me, I was like, if I can do this twice in front of all different crowds, then I'll say this goes in the master set. It's or it's still working, you know? So I, I love that strategy. And I do something similar in Houston. I won't walk you through all the different places, but what, what <laughs> no, it's okay. It, it's, it really drove the point home that, uh, that you get in front of different audiences. You get in front of the black room, the white room, the, 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 the fratty room, the loud bar scene. And for me, what I'm learning is my material and who I am stays consistent but what you're changing is probably the setup or how you might get into that material. Mm -hmm. And that, that allows you to shift based on, based on what audience you're performing from and, and give you some, uh, you know, the skill to be able to perform in front of anybody and across the country. 
And uh, I think that that really resonates with a lot with me and with a lot of comics. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's sometimes it's just hitting the beats differently, the rhythm differently, you know, um, it's a little bit like music, you know, because in front of drunks, you <laughs> you you got to kind of have a little bit more sound, more going on, just to maintain their attention. Maybe you drop a really clever tag because they're not going to get it, you know, or like maybe you don't do a callback because you know they weren't listening. Like you know what I mean. <laughs> Whereas when you got these like, ha, mm, ha, mm, you know what I mean, those smart crowds that like laugh and wait, then yeah. you've got to keep them interested with like the next part. It's just, it's a rhythm thing, you know? That's a hard crowd to master. That's, we get that sometimes we've had that, we've experienced that recently where it's like, they laugh at your joke and then just clam up like 10 seconds after their ha 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 silence. And you're like, oh, okay. So you <laughs> like the joke, but you're not drunk enough or something. I don't know what's going on. I have two theories about what's happening. Cause I'm noticing that more in crowds. I think, uh, a year of sitting down watching a ton of television has, and also like, also especially with younger crowds, like they're they're constantly typing LOL and LMAO and not laughing. <laughs> and so I think it's like, I think there's a little bit of like, it's a little socially uncouth to laugh too hard. So they want to hold themselves back. And then I wonder if people are like a little COVID scared that when they laugh too hard, they're letting out germs. <laughs> <laughs> so they're like, <laughs> <laughs> one one thing I did, we at our room we personally seat everybody or we do our best to seat everybody and one thing I like to just instruct people on this is good for showrunners or for anybody is just hey it's okay to laugh like laugh at my jokes or, or say something funny about that and and kind of let them coach them through that people need to be coached on a comedy show or reminded what a comedy show is if they haven't been you know for years because of the pandemic or maybe it's their first time so uh, people just need need those cues. Social, I mean, also to social media is training us differently on how to, mm. how to consume funny because now it's like either you, I think a lot of people think they, they need to respond in some way. Like I'm noticing, I get this a lot and maybe it's just the type of people I attract, but I get like, yes, yes, mm -hmm. yes. <laughs> and I'm like, uh-uh girl, like just laugh. Like I don't need your like audio track commentary, but you, you can't choose your fans. So if that's who I've got, that's who I've got. The yes girls love me. And I love them. <laughs> I know that's a thing. I think it's uh, when you're certain, certain material kind of generates that because they feel seen and, and heard and they get, they agree. Mm -hmm. and, yeah, you're right. That's a social media thing is given that maybe we should put a TV screen with like <laughs> likes Yes. Uh, thumbs ups and you can you can text in your emojis to how the set's going. <laughs> <laughs> like I know you're not laughing super hard, but I'm seeing those thumbs ups over there and I appreciate them. <laughs> good opportunity. Is, yeah, you go ahead, Drew. Oh, I was thinking maybe this is a good opportunity to go ahead and jump into uh some writing. So um kind of just take it wherever you want, but how does Jasmine Ellis write comedy? Okay. So Jasmine can't, Jasmine has ADHD, <laughs> like she truly has ADD. This is an actual like diagnosable issue uh, along with the depression, fun. And I can't just sit in front of a piece of paper or a laptop and write. I have to like be out and about just kind of thinking and then the idea hits me and I go, let's go, let's go. Um, I'm really, when I have deadlines and stuff to meet, I'm just really bad at like sitting down for the idea. Um, and as far as like, I don't know though. Lately what I've been trying to do is I'm kind of just assessing my material and thinking about what I think is missing. And I'm really, really grounded in realism to the point where like, like personally, I hate when a comic gets up there and talks for 10 minutes about their wife and then says they killed their wife. And they're like, haha, just kidding. I've never been married. And it's like, shut up. Why? Shut up. Tell your story or don't tell anything at all. But I feel like I told a lot of my story. So now I'm trying to find more of the silly and try to be a little bit more lighthearted. I think that's also because like I got I was so I was always talking about what was actively happening in my life and it's covid was very frustrating because you get in front of crowds where half the crowd believes that you were home for no reason. And <laughs> and there's just no reason why you were depressed and stressed and gained weight and lost your job. Why? You know like I'm in Atlanta right now. They never shut down. Ain't no shutdowns. They don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. What is what is the COVID? So <laughs> I was like, I gotta get more into the silly and the universal because being too specific about my individual experiences can work 
but it's I don't know. It's so weird. I mean, I mean, I guess having an entire like years of a like a president like gaslighting you into believing what's happening you isn't happening to you. <laughs> It's just it's putting me in a weird space. But I sit down uh, when I have an idea and I just frantically jot the idea down and just write and write and write and write until I'm tired. And then I look at it later and then I start trimming the fat. I give myself maybe like an hour to like go do something else. And then I relook at it and I'm like, I don't need to say this because I'm a talker. The I, Like premises are easy. Punchlines are easy. For me, I just I talk too much. So cutting out what isn't that funny and streamlining it to just the best part. And you kind of figure that out as you go. Like, I, and that's what I love about physical audiences. It's like, um, you'll just, you'll figure out that they want you to like go on. And so you'll do a little bit more about something. But I, I hate when comedians say they write on stage because that's typically an excuse for being lazy, but I do it. I like, <laughs> I don't, I don't drink before I go on stage. So I can be a hundred percent sober and know what I'm doing. I don't bring my notebook on stage. I personally, to each their own, I hate people who bring their notebook on stage. If you're that not ready, sit down. Like, <laughs> I've never brought a notebook on my entire life. Now, I need to record more, but I don't do that. Mm-hmm. But what I do do, though, is I'll get up, I'll do my set, and then immediately beeline it to my notebook and take notes on what I felt worked and didn't work. So that's kind of how I get it together. Yeah. I, that's I'm terrible at the notes. Like I don't need them, but I bring up a set list on my phone every set. And I, when I go back and watch the video, I want to, I want to punch that guy because <laughs> I'm just like, what are you doing? You know, the next, you know, these jokes, I don't, I'm not looking at them for, I, it's just a dumb crutch. And I'm noticing it causes me to break connection yes. with the audience constantly. I, one of the best compliments I've ever received about my comedy is that it feels like you're talking to your best friend. Mm. And I mean, would your best friend, best friend stop and go, hold on, bestie. What was I going to tell you about today? Yes. Yeah. My butt, you know, like, <laughs> my behold, let's get into it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like a conversation. It's uh, the only problem I have is like, I think I'm really good at conversational comedy and really connecting with people to the point where they maybe feel too connected to me after shows. And they're like, you and I just shared this moment, but you didn't get to hear my story. And I'm like, no, don't want it. Don't want it. <laughs> and, and now they're going to tell me their story for 25 minutes. And here we go. <laughs> yeah. So do you, speaking of like not taking a notebook on, st- on stage and stuff, do you have a set list? that you are um, before you go up on stage or do you have an idea of what you want to perform or you just let it kind of be loose with it as well? I always have a set list and I'm not, I'm not good about uh, timing my jokes, which I need to get better at. I learned that when I just had my first JFL audition. Um, Uh, Oh, sorry. Acid reflex. Bless you. I had my acid reflex. Sorry. I had my JFL audition and I really need to time my bits. But what I usually do is if you tell me I'm doing a 10 minute set and then I do, then I plan on doing nine jokes typically. And then I do a set list that's nine because if you get laughs, then you get to nine. And then I'll have like of nine and a possible. So I have like one more joke I'm thinking I'll add in if it's going really well. Um, I need to be more specific and like really hone in on exactly what I'm going to do. And I do that for things that I'm going to tape, like my drive bar special, my album. I was like, this is exactly what I'm going to do. But the funny thing is, it's just like on stuff like that, you get lucky and it's this great captive audience that'll let you do exactly what you want to. But with like regular shows, you get feedback and things kind of go left and right. And you just have to flow with what's happening. You know, like I did Zanies the other day. Didn't know how that crowd was going to be. And I just decided to open with this bit a bit. I have about being told I look like Beyonce because it really works in front of, um, in front of like audiences that have a lot of girls. Cause I'm like, I can see there's a lot of drunk white women in here. And one of you is going to tell me I look like Beyonce. So go ahead and do it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'd say it. And I, I said, I look like Beyonce. And then this one dude laughed so hard and so long that I just kind of paused and stood there like, and I was like, is it that funny? Like, I, 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 I'm that far off, you know? Like, <laughs> well, just imagine, like, what if Beyonce just worked at Target? You don't know? Like, <laughs> yeah. there's a possibility of another universe Beyonce. Um, so, yeah, just kind of, like, I do riff a little bit with certain things. I, I always kind of pad a little, rap, like, I try to come out strong and hot. Your first joke needs to be, like, your second funniest thing every single set. 
Uh, or at least the second funniest joke out of what you plan on doing. Like it needs to be strong. So I come out hot and ready and then expecting them to react to me and I might play with that energy and then get into my second bit. And then I always at least know how I want to bookend. And whenever I'm working new material, that's what I mean about writing on stage. It's kind of funny because I'll have like, I've noticed like other comics will think I haven't written a new job, a joke because they hear me open with the same joke for six months. But then my second joke is new every time you see me. But I just, I open with something that I know is going to kill. And then I do new stuff. And then I finish with something I know is going to kill. And people, people have short attention spans. So they're like, I liked her. She made me smile when I met her. And then she, uh, and then I smiled when I left, you know? So it's just like a good bookending it, bookending your set, just like a job interview, if you will. I like the, basically the, what you said is you come in, you prove out that you're funny, you gain your, their trust that you're funny. And then you said you kind of riff the room, which says that you're present and mm-hmm. then you've, you've earned their trust to then do deliver new material. That's really smart. Yes. And also it gives me, it gives me a chance to do something kind of controversial. I like to do some, my definition of controversial is not other people's definition of controversial. I have a, a joke about Oh, actually, we're going to get into this later, but I have a joke about hating dogs. That is controversial. (laughs) (laughs) I would never open with that, but it is perfect after I've already established trust. (laughs) That that really can affect like a set so much. The first thing it's like, it's like a first date. And if you come out with the wrong joke, you set up weird expectations. It's, it is kind of, it's a lot of pressure. But mm-hmm. opening strong is, gosh, it'll do wonder. I feel like it just it sets the tone for the entire set easily. And I think that's so much better. I hate when comics kind of open very crowd worky. Like a, a quick how y'all doing is fine. I I've been told to get out of that habit, but mm-hmm. I don't. I'm I'm from the south. Okay, you don't just start talking to people. You introduce yourself. You you know what I mean? A quick that. But I hate when someone's like how y'all do it and then tries to jump right into crowd work and then into material. No, you, you established that you're not in charge. You, you made yourself appear to these people. They like, you know, you need to, you're the, I, I'm the teacher. Like I'm in charge. We're friends, but I'm in charge. And it's important to, to assert that. Yeah. There's a, this confidence is key. And for them to believe that you're in charge is like, <laughs> gosh, yeah, that's, I think that kills probably helps you with hecklers uh, the, the moderate heck, I mean, you're going to get the crazy ones, but the people who, who might not, you'll shut them down like that, showing them that you're, you're running this thing. You're in charge. I got this. Um, even when you, even when a joke doesn't work, I think it's really important to, you know, have some sort of dig out some sort of interaction to let them know, you know, you're still in charge. You know, the, the back of the bus is not running this show (laughs) just Mm -hmm. because one joke didn't kill. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You can't, you got to just kind of make that clear. Like this is, this is, oh my God. I'm sorry. My family's trying to plan a trip to Vegas and they keep, shut up. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, you got to just establish that you're in charge, but also it's going to be fun. Like you should let me be in charge because we're all going to have more fun that way. And that's kind of where I'm at with it is it's like, it's weird. I have trouble taking charge in a lot of situations, but uh on stage it's like a light goes off for me like i i i'm not saying i'm not mean i am my most focused me on stage like the it's it's kind of funny because with add my brain is constantly going a million miles an hour and when i'm on stage i know what i'm gonna say i can see all the people i don't know i just it feels amazing it, i feel like, like you're operating stuff. in it's like you're operating in like matrix bullet time like everything else is in slow motion and you're like in normal speed because your ADD is like r- running circles around everything it's kind of it's kind of one of the only times where like the way i speak is like appropriate because sometimes it's just like what did you just say <laughs> like, <laughs> when i'm allowed to be funny in that space it's just it's great it's really fun yeah do you have any last minute like before you go on stage last minute preps or rituals or anything you do to get your head right uh, in the moments and minutes before you go on stage? Um, yes. I, okay. I, if I've ever come off unfriendly, I'm sorry, y'all. I just like to get my own space and I'm and be by myself a little bit before I go up. So a lot of times I will wait in my car or go outside or something. And it's nothing personal. A lot of people like to watch the comic before them. I'll watch, I'll watch like the last minute, but I don't like watching someone's whole set right before mine. Cause then it just, I, I'm like, Ooh, she, she talked about having a husband. I have a husband joke, throw it away. Like, mm. oh my God, yeah. I'm so sorry. 
stuff like that's terrible. And so I like to listen to headphones uh, and I will listen to, I have a little playlist called warm up, wake up. That's got uh, a lot of songs that are just kind of songs that make me feel like that bitch is essentially what it is. And like share one, share, it's share. Nicki Minaj. It's, okay. it's like Celine Dion. What else you got? <laughs> Titanic theme song. That really gets me in the mood. Is that what it is? Just Art will go on, you know? <laughs> okay, now. Yeah, that, that is it. I also listen to like 80s jingles. I'm kidding. If I'm just listening <laughs> to the <laughs> uh, But yeah, I like to, so I will kind of get myself away for a second and that helps me just focus. Nice. Good. We're going to uh, set up the clip uh, as I'm doing that. Anything that you remember specifically, I guess they record these in Utah, right? The dry bar uh, specials? Yes, dry bar, dry bar. Okay, so it happens in Provo, Utah. And dry bar is a really great emerging platform. I like it a lot. I mean, I wouldn't even say it's emerging because it's been about four years and some big things have happened with it. The only problem is the show itself happens in Provo, Utah, which is a very, very Mormon area. And they give you really strict, like, I mean, the strictest cleaning <laughs> things I've ever heard in my entire life. Like, don't say anything negative about marriage. Uh, that disparages marriage. Um, I hope I'm not going to get in trouble for telling you guys the insider secrets um, of this whole thing. Uh, absolutely. Like they said, like, don't mention alcohol, premarital sex, anything like that. And so, and there was a bit that I think they edited out where I joked about um, like flirting with my lawyer. And I think, yeah, I think they either they edited it out or they didn't take that particular, because we do two takes. Mm-hmm. And they edit it to create the video. Uh, and I don't, I watched the final product and I didn't hate it. I like it. I I feel really good about it in the sense that like it's introduced a lot of people to me. Um, it's just so funny though, because a lot of their audience, here's what I hate about people who like clean comedy. People who like clean comedy feel that they are the moral authority on what clean is. And they watch clean to go, is this clean? Not to laugh. They oh. are like, they are sitting there looking for a problem. And so I've had people who are mad at like, I had someone say that she, I was completely morally wrong and cruel and everything I said was mean. And I was like, mean to who? <laughs> and God, and then like also too, I had some issues with like some of the, the some of the choices they did. Here's one thing that's kind of frustrating is like as a black comedian, when I talk about race, it's on my terms and I do it at specific points in my set in ways that are very funny and very poignant. But if you isolate them and just shove them in people's faces, it's not going to work. So I've got this one joke that I love with all my heart. I love it. Love it. I don't know if this is a clip you're going to show, but I talk about um, going to a costume party with my white husband and trying to figure out a good costume for an interracial couple. And someone suggested we go as a s'mores. And I'm like, that's stupid. Cause if he leaves, then I'm, then what? Like, if we separate, then he's just a cracker at a party. It's so silly. <laughs> <laughs> it's so silly. And the way I do it is I'm like, but I'm bummed. It's the worst joke I ever wrote. And people love it. And I love it because it is silly, right? Well, they just isolated me saying, and then he's just a cracker at a party and then use that alone. So you hear that line and then uproarious laughter and then the whole set starts. I have gotten so much fucking hate mail. Republicans don't read and they don't <laughs> wait. They see something that makes them mad and they get, so I'm getting called, you know, the N word. I'm getting called, all I'm getting horrible messages. Like crazy people saying awful, they're so mad. You know, if I called you a nigger, you know, I'll, I don't know, sorry, excuse me, whatever. Um, they're so mad and it's like, they're not even looking at the context and also cracker and the N word are not the same thing. And you know it and I know it and they know it, you know? One of them is a beloved children's snack. Stop it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so I love dry bar for what it's done for me, but sometimes there's just certain elements where I'm like, mm, I don't think you guys were thinking about what this, about how ravenously white your fan base is. <laughs> Yeah, well, when you put those kind of constraints on art, it's always, I mean, sometimes it's good, but when you're kind of trying to censor certain things, it's you're it's going to hurt the art form. It's not going to be its purest form for sure, but you're right. I grew up in church. My dad's a Baptist preacher. You know, the clean stuff was really important and is still important to my family, and so um, they wouldn't, they won't watch specials if they're too dirty. So like you miss out on an audience if you can't work clean and can't mm-hmm. get material that they get with, but you're right. A lot of them watch just to like poke holes. 
Yeah, just to poke holes. But it's so funny because it's like the video has got like last time I checked, it was like 400,000 views. And like, I mean, a lot, a lot, a lot of likes. I don't remember the number. The number of comments is like maybe 150. But almost all the comments are mean. <laughs> so <laughs> people who hate stuff, people who hate stuff take the time to write. People yeah. who like stuff share it. Like the shares are great. They, they share mm. it. They message me. Like, there's so many nice people. But I, I mean, the nice people or the people who enjoy, you can't even say you enjoy something. Like, in my opinion, Sam J had the funniest Netflix special of 2020. And I said that on a forum. And I had dudes messaging telling me I am a fucking idiot and she's stupid. <laughs> and, like, and I'm like, it's my opinion. Like, you're yeah. not. And so same thing happened to me. There are people commenting, I thought this is amazing. She's so beautiful. Sweet. This one guy goes, obviously she's overweight. Why would you call her beautiful? And the wow. two of them argued for like 20 comments. And I was like, hey, you're both right. I'm overweight and beautiful. Crazy. <laughs> Solves the problem. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, I, I, I got to stop reading the comments, I think, is what I learned about that. Um, yeah. Although it's, it's, dry bar specials are fun. But if you ever watch them and you're like, this crowd doesn't seem that into it, just remember that it is a uh, hundred sober Mormons. <laughs> so, yeah, I've, so, I've heard, I've got that vibe before. <laughs> yeah, just, it's a very tight crowd. It's very confused, and and it's frustrating too because you're coming there and you want to do up here material so you get this amazing tape, but uh, it's like they need a little bit more. Um, crowd working you know and i had kind of like it, it was an interesting night i had i had a i had a host that was like a little tough so it was like you know like i think the crowd wasn't they weren't all the way warmed up i'm i'm you know what? i gotta stop apologizing i've gotten so much good feedback and in my yeah. mind but you know what it can't stop me because it's like even if someone hated that and thought that was horrible because like one person did say that was the absolute worst comedy he'd ever seen in his entire life and i was like sir i challenge you to go to any open mic okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but you know what I recorded that two and a half years ago. I'm already so much funnier than that video. So like, you can't stop me. I'm already better than that. I've already moved, I've evolved further than that, you know, so. Yeah. So we're gonna we're gonna judge it by the jokes, not by the laughs. I'm gonna go ahead and hit the, hit the clip. <laughs> oh my gosh, I love comedy so much. I'm always excited every chance I get to perform, but recently I did think of a backup plan. Just in case this doesn't pan out, I have decided I would like to be the person who paints unlicensed cartoon characters on the side of buildings? <laughs> Have you ever been to like that kind of sketchy neighborhood and there's that melted Elmo and you're like, why? <laughs> I want to be that person who does that. That's somebody's job. And it's the best job in the world because the only job where your job is doing a bad job. <laughs> you're not supposed to do well. That gets people sued. <laughs> you do just enough. That's what I want. I want to just paint the mural, do what I do, and then get a call on Monday where they're like, um, Miss Ellis, we have some questions about this. Uh, I don't believe this is what we asked for. And I'd be like, yeah, it is. No, we asked for Mickey Mouse. I'd be like, uh-uh-uh. You don't get Mickey Mouse. You get Mike Mouse. <laughs> it's a grown man with child support payments. Because it's a daycare center, you're welcome. You know, that's what I want to do. <laughs> And then I just hang up and call it a day. Oh man, I hope I hope I don't have to work anymore because I'm real bad at it. I really do. <laughs> I'm bad at it. I'm good at getting jobs, but I hate them. Like I recently had a job interview, and like I live in Austin, and I feel like things are getting a little too hippie, a little too weird for me out there. I don't know if you guys. I mean, it's weird, like fun, but then Monday rolls around and your coworkers still don't have on deodorant, and you're like, why? <laughs> this is a lot. Like it's just. You know, I don't like living anywhere where there's too many facial hair options for men. I just, I don't, the fashion's all over the place. I can't tell who's a toddler or a grandfather. It's a lot. It's a little too weird for me. And I had a job interview at this like really cool, like artisanal makeup store. And I was like, I really wanted the job. So we did a phone interview and I'm answering the questions. And like I said, I am good at getting a job. So I'm saying everything right. And the lady's like, I really like your personality. You're so great. The only problem I'm having is you're really giving me a strong Aquarius vibe. <laughs> but according to your application, you're definitely a Pisces. So I just hope you're being honest with me. 
honest at a job interview. <laughs> Why? Who is ever honest at a job? And now I have to be cosmically, astrologically honest. <laughs> what am I going to tell this woman? Um, no, no, no. That's definitely like, I, that's all me because I'm really like a, a, a won't steal office supplies moon. <laughs> and uh, isn't crying in her car rising. That's my sign. <laughs> Hire me, please. Oh, man. I, it's just a hippy-dippy weird city. I wish someone had warned me before I moved there just how it is. Like, one thing I didn't realize is that people there, they love dogs. They love dogs. But not like a normal love dogs. Like the dog's boat. It's a lot. <laughs> they are citizens. They are important. Like, every time I go to a grocery store, I just see, like, a child on a leash and a pug in a stroller. <laughs> but if I say anything, I'm the crazy one because he has breathing problems. And, like... <laughs> I want to clarify, I don't hate dogs. I'm just not a dog person because I used to be very afraid of dogs. I used to be afraid of dogs. I worked on it. And it's hard. That is the worst fear to have because it's the only fear that everyone tries to cure you of. Yeah. Telling people you don't, like, when you tell a person you don't like dogs, they look at you like an atheist in church. They're just like, oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, you just haven't met the right dog. No, 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 no. You just, once you give your heart to dog, things are going to change. You just, you got to open up and let dog in. <laughs> Oh man, <laughs> very good. Thank you, thank you. I had a that was. It's so funny because I like I'm as I'm watching it, I'm recalling the comments I've read about it, and I'm like, I I gotta stop. It's so like okay. There were people who were mad. They're like, that's why her generation has no work ethic. It's like just a bunch of weird boomers with their like own personal issues. Um, like people who were mad. I did jokes about astrology because like nobody cares about astrology. It's like, um, sir. I, people care you know what I mean and you just have to be like keep doing what you're doing and your audience will find you because then it's like this this second round found me and people are like oh she knows astrology she's in a rising and a moon side and oh man uh I stand by everything I said there the dogs are too active in Austin they need to be stopped <laughs> <laughs> well I like to so like the first bit for example you did a you did a great job of it's sort of like a, a your own fantasy you could go anywhere you want with it like what if I had this job as this muralist and and I'm actually surprised that they let it go through where you talked about child support payments I bet you that at, at dry bar they're like mm, I don't know <laughs> oh no child support implies the children cannot have married bad no. Yeah. <laughs> oh it's a dirty set. It's a very dirty, dirty blue set you did right there. So blue, so blue. Oh my god! I, a lot of the credit. I got this comment like forty times. Elmo's not a cartoon character. Fuck you! Fuck you! Fuck you! You fucks! You fucking fucks! Like you. Know? <laughs> like, I know that's, that's that. The general He's, sentiment when you read any comment. Yes. <laughs> it's just like what? What are you? What are you dunking on me with? Elmo's not a cartoon. Um. For your information, I'm 32. Me and Elmo are the same age. Like I grew up watching. There's, a, there's a part in the in the astro in the astronomy bit, uh, cosmically, astrologically honest. I could just see in like a normal room that crushing, and it didn't crush there. But it's just so funny. I love it. Oh, I'm sure because they probably think it's witchcraft to witch. Yeah, 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 exactly. Uh, I do not. And for the record, the good people of Provo, if you happen to see this, I'm not saying like I didn't have fun, but it's just it's it's um. And the funny thing is, in that moment, I had so much fun, but it's like the the internet people have made me feel. I don't know. I've got to stop reading comments, man. I've got to because I've got to stop reading comments because like it, just watching it with you guys, I was like, this is a good set. <laughs> <laughs> well, the crazy part about the world now, I feel like, and this works for uh, artists of all types, bands, comics, whatever. In this world, we're very global. Your mm -hmm. reach goes beyond your city. Like people can be successful artists, performers with a couple thousand really hot like for you fans and you don't need everyone's approval you don't yes. have to have every type of audience love you uh, and but it's we all want that we all want everyone to just be universally loved but i think if if we can somehow get our, through our heads like look not every audience not every person is going to like my comedy they're not going to get it but there's enough 
that love it and and relate to it and enjoy it uh, that you're going to be successful and you're going to have a great career and you're going to pack out shows you're going to have a blast and you just got to take those stupid idiots and just put them over there in their place you know yes yes um, yeah so true and i thought i thought it's funny that you went into the the atheist and the dog stuff in front of a bunch of sober mormons i was like Oh, let's see how they feel about this. <laughs> they gave me a good laugh on that because I know they've said things like, you just got to believe in God. It's like, you know what I mean? Like the way oh, yeah. people talk to other people of different religions is like people treat their dog like their religion. They do. Yeah. Like they love their pets. Um, like there's this tag on that that I, I used to tell, but I've kind of dropped it because it hurts too many people's feelings. But it's <laughs> I still stand by it. One time me and my dad were watching, um, actually this isn't even like, me and my dad were watching TV and one of those um, children, like Save the Save the Animals commercials comes on with Sarah McLachlan. It's like late. And I'm like, dad, do you ever notice they show those all the time? But I haven't seen a Save the Children ad in forever. And he was like, yeah, because white people are only trying to save things they can own. And like, <laughs> uh, oh, <no. laughs> like you, you can't, you can't out riff your family. You know what I mean? And it's just like, it's, <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, I couldn't have done that in front of them. Like, like, these yeah. are, you know, these are very charitable people. They go all over, you know, so. Yeah. I love, I love writing. I love, I love coming up with a new idea. I love doing something different. And that was, that was a good time. And I'm so glad I got to do that. And it's put me in front of that audience. It's put it in front of me a lot of more people. You know, it's a good clip. So it's exciting that it's out. Very good. We enjoyed it as well. I'm going to go ahead and, and queue up our last segment, Jasmine, and the way this works, it's called Last Laugh. Ooh. And yes, what that means is it's going to be the last joke you're going to put on your tombstone. Let me play a quick graphic and we'll come back in and hear your last laugh. Keep saying I'm going to change it. 35 episodes in, I <laughs> still the same thing. All right. So, Jasmine Ellis, what is your last laugh to remember by that's going to be on your tombstone? Oh, man. I mean, so I, I'm dead. I'm in the ground. I'm gone. Uh, you know what? I'll, I'll do one that I love very much. And it's like, uh, <laughs> here lies Jasmine Ellis. Good, not nice. And I, <laughs> I saw Marcy's as good, not nice. And because I have this bit uh, that's kind of, it's one of the anchor bits on Trash Baby. And I talk about getting accosted by this, this strange man that came out of an alley and was like, you and I belong together. And it's really happening. Oh <laughs> and I'm an assertive girl. I told you all this stuff about how I'm in control of the audience, blah, blah, blah. But when, when push comes to shove in real life, I'm terrified. And I was talking about how with, with us, we always have this moment in our heads where we're like, uh, don't be mean. Uh, don't say like, you know, like you're like, I don't want to go missing, but I don't want to be a bitch. And, <laughs> and the way I say this, to, I say this to college girls all over. I'm like, listen, honey, I know what you're doing. You're trying to be nice. You don't need to be nice. Nice is how you go. Nice is how you end up on the side of a van. All right. That's, that's how you end up. All right. <laughs> be a good person. Treat people with kindness, you know, do good things, but nice. You don't need to be nice. So I, uh. <laughs> you know, I, I'm, I'm a good person, not a nice person. I would give any of you the shirt off my back. If I thought yours was ugly, like it's <laughs> not nice. And I, I can, I think that's a good summary of who I am as a whole person. She's good. She's not nice. <laughs> I like that. Next, that's next, com next comedy album. Good, not nice. Very good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, how, how can uh, a couple things about where people can find you? Of course, uh, Jasmine Ellis comedy is your social media handle right there for people watching. Uh, where, what else is going on with, with you? Any, anywhere else people can find you? You're on tour and all well, that? Well, I'm on the road right now. Uh, I'm in Atlanta. I'm going to be doing a little Texas run starting next week, so I'm super excited about that. You can find me in Austin on that Wednesday, the 23rd. I'll be at the Creek in the Cave and Buzzmill Brewery. Um, you know, hustling, doing two shows in one night. Then the next mm -hmm. night, I'm going to be in San Antonio. So check out... Um, Check out Big Laugh Comedy Network for tickets to that San Antonio, the thirty, uh, the twenty fourth, Thursday. Then on Friday, the twenty fifth, I'll be in Houston, uh, yes, uh, hanging out with the Comedy Riot. I'm so excited to be with you guys and uh, like where where we can find Rudards, Rudards, right? Is that the venue? <laughs> yeah, Rudards. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Riot, Get us, get your tickets. 
Thank you. Uh, and then Saturday, I'm going to be featuring, oh, Saturday, I'm doing a brunch comedy show in Austin. Uh, it's called Two Broke Bitches. It's going to yes. be a speak oh, in the game. And then Saturday night, I'll be featuring for Roy Woods Jr. Yeah. And, yeah. I'm, so crazy. Such, I'm so excited. It is such a full circle moment for me. I saw him when I was in college and he was like still the guy doing the prank calls. And then like two years ago, I interviewed him because I went to school for journalism. So I interviewed him and I asked him about like, you know, what's the best advice you ever got? And can I tell you guys this? Because it's just the funniest shit I've ever heard in my entire life. Sure. He was staying at this raggedy motel when he went to do the Apollo for the first time and he bombed. And when he went downstairs to get a soda, there was this old prostitute there. And she was like, how'd it go, baby? How'd the show go? And he was like, not so good, ma'am. And she was like, listen, sometimes the dicks are going to have bumps, but you still got to suck them. That was his exact word. <laughs> and I was and I was like, let me ask my editor if I can. No. I'm not sure I can print that. Um, <laughs> that would not work at the dry bar. <laughs> wow. And it's good Talking like a true professional. <laughs> So from the prostitute to Roy to me, that advice has has kept us pushing, if you will. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's great stuff. So I'm so excited to, to be uh, working with him. So at Houston, come see me, San Antonio, all those great places. I'm so excited. Oh, and you can find me on all the things at Jasmine Ellis Comedy. That's my Twitter, my Instagram, Facebook. I also have a podcast called Rhythm and Bay. And it's where I interview comedians to talk about music. And starting July 15th, we are starting our Behind the Murder series where I talk about murdered musicians. Uh, I shouldn't have smiled when I said that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Selena. Tune in Selena. for yes, the whole yeah. Selena episode. Of course. Uh, Tupac and Biggie are separate episodes. You know, it's gonna it's gonna dig really deep into like the impact of these situations and learning about that. And then of course, still talking to comedians about the music that makes them come alive, the music that really tells their story. Absolutely. Well, thanks so much, Jasmine, for joining us. For you're such a great guest, and we're going to see you soon. And thank you, everybody, for listening. This has been Breaking Down Bits. Bye. Thanks for listening to Breaking Down Bits. You can keep in touch or get more when you follow at Breaking Down Bits on social media. Visit the website breakingdownbits.com or shoot us an email at breakingdownbits at gmail.com.